Hello and welcome to Between the Lines, where we bring the passion, humor, and humanity back into business conversations. My special guest today is Mercedes Alonso. She's a longtime friend. We share a few stories together, and she's the Executive Vice President of Renewable Polymers and Chemicals at Neste. She also leads transformation with Circular Solutions, heading up a global team for Neste. She has lived in various places all over the world and is now, for the time being, settled in Zurich. Sit back, relax, and above all, enjoy. We are so pleased to be working with our US partners, JMW, to bring you this Spotlight on Leadership episode of Between the Lines. JMW is dedicated to developing extraordinary leaders. They work with businesses across the globe to transform leaders and their teams and accelerate performance. To find out more about how they do this, visit jmw.com. So Mercedes, um, I, I guess you're still in Zurich. How, how's lockdown been for you? And, and of course, welcome to Between the Lines. Thank you, Hey, Very, very happy to be here today. Very uh, excited about being with you in Between the Lines. Um, yeah, you're right. I'm actually settled between Zurich and Dusseldorf. So actually my workplace is in Germany, but with the lockdown, the family is uh, in Switzerland, in Zurich. So I've been spending a lot more time here than usual, not traveling and unless I'm in the office because we have it closed. So yeah, to answer your question, lockdown, I think, um, you know, I can't complain. We have a privileged life having a space in the house which one can go in a room and have these uh, conference calls. Uh, kids uh, being also schooled from home with video conferences. We have a small garden so we could even walk and take a little bit of the fresh air in between. So I think that we have been able to manage the lockdown better probably than most. And at the same time, it's difficult when you have a global team and people that like working together. And we started, I joined Neste only in 2019, September. So you have this feeling that you will do much more and enjoy more the team and getting to know each other as, as people and not only as colleagues if we didn't have that. So that's where we are realizing we are looking forward to move on. Well, you're looking well and you've got a beautiful background there. It looks like yeah. the, uh, the mountains in the sound of music. So, so that's uh, very refreshing <laughs> on, on a glorious day probably over there, is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Today is one of those uh, bright, amazing, sunny days in the mountains in Switzerland. It's like a postcard. Yeah. So, so I want to talk about, again, I, I mentioned you're living in Zurich, but you are Spanish. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where, where you grew up and what you thought you were going to be doing at this time. Oh. Well, 20, 29 years later, we won't obviously do it. <laughs> Let's uh, not be specific in the, the years, yeah. Yeah, sure. I'm Spanish indeed. I was born in Barcelona and uh, grew up in Madrid. I studied chemistry there. And um, if you know a little bit about the chemical industry in Europe, at least it's a heavy weight in Germany. So I started learning German when I was at university. And when I started applying for roles, I really wanted to go to Germany for what I thought at the time, two, three years, get some experience, work for one of those big... German companies and then come back and continue my career in Spain. Um, it worked halfway. I did get actually the, my first role in a research institute in Germany, but my next job was also in Germany, in Frankfurt, and they felt that my German was good enough to work with customers and I never made it back. So as a matter of fact, I never worked in Spain. I live there. I'm very proud of Spanish, but my life took me to Germany first and Switzerland. I've been also in India working in multinationals. Then I was in the Netherlands and now back to Germany. So a well, little bit I was going to say, before we go too far from Spain, I mm -hmm. do want to stop just there. Before we save the world and climate <laughs> change and talk about all those things and uh, 
women and leadership, which we're going to come to. Let's just talk about food. I love food. I love Spain. <laughs> so you must have missed uh, something there. So what was some of the best, uh, well, not the best, but what's some of your favorite foods that come from Spain? Because I love everything. Fish, everything that has to do with fish. I mean, you obviously like jamón and ham and all those things. But um, I think in the last uh, 30 years, things have changed a lot. And I'm very lucky that now in Europe, you can buy and cook it yourself. I love cooking, so do a lot of things ourselves. But when I moved first to Germany, that was one of the things that was extremely different in terms of what you can do on a day-to-day -day, simple dinner. In Spain, we have uh, probably as much fish much more variety than you can have in any other kitchen, even more than the French. So that's one of my favorites, continue to be. But now in the last few years, it's definitely much easier to get by in, in, in other countries in Europe. For all of those listening, Mercedes is a dear, dear friend. And uh, we rarely ever talked about work. We never talked shop. So this is actually pretty exciting. Probably, I don't know how many years that, that we, we've known each other. We, we tend to be more in the social surroundings. You're obviously now... Um, in, a, in a really interesting job that we're going to talk about. But uh, how did it all start? Um, yeah, I think as a kid, I was always super interested in natural sciences and I wanted to study medicine. So uh, it's, it's been uh, a constant. That's one of those kids that really always wanted uh, to do something in biology and so on. I didn't have enough um, uh, points to get into medicine on the first year. So I went to chemistry because you could convalidate the, you pass the first year, you can go back to medicine. But I like it so much that I thought, no, I, I really want to continue. So I've been extremely um, passionate and extremely happy that I've been always working in the chemical industry. And at the same time, maybe because my dad uh, had his own business and was more in a business uh, commercial kind of environment, I never really wanted to work in a lab. I don't think that I have the, the brains to be an inventor or a researcher. I always was fascinated about you, the things you can do with chemistry. It's, it's, it amazed me every day and it amazed me also how we continue evolving to even tackle problems that can be resolved with chemistry. So uh, to your point, I always wanted to work in a chemical industry. I've been mostly in sales and marketing, so understanding the value of new polymers or new molecules and how to use them. Um, I was always very interested in the environmental impact and, and how to prevent that those materials end up in the environment and was part of programs uh, very early stage on recycling or responsible care. So for me, combining the, the magic of chemistry, the, the passion of natural sciences, but also looking at the environment, it's been pretty much a constant through my whole career. So again, very privileged of being able to work in the chemical industry. And now, as you said, with Neste, it's a, it's a dream come true because we are working on the what I think is the next revolution in the chemical industry towards a very sustainable, um, away from fossil fuels, if you want to. So uh, having the opportunity to do that is, uh, yeah, it's the crown. So, so, so tell me, how, how has Neste grown from a local Finnish kind of oil refinery to, to at the cutting edge or global leader in transitioning to renewables? So, so how did that happen, do you think? Yeah, it's a, an interesting story because um, Neste has a long history. We were founded already in the 40s uh, as the national-owned um, company looking at the energy and the oil for the country, for Finland. It's a Finnish company. And um, in the first years, was like any traditional oil refinery, managing all the petrol and the uses of the country. Now, through different changes also in the ownership on a company called Fortum and so on, in 2005, we were floated as 
a new company, public company. And at that time is when the company needed to demonstrate that we had a strategy for the future. And I'm not sure, uh, I guess there were several influencing factors. The one is that the Nordics was um, already earlier in, in, in Europe, one of the areas, you know, all the countries in, in the Nordic region looking towards renewable energy, transforming into wind, into geothermal, and all, a lot of that awareness on the impact of the environment was really early stage in Europe. So as I think as a Finnish company that we look into that, also Fortune, which was our mother company right. at the time, was investing. So we started looking at renewables and renewable um, fuels already in 2005, really ahead of anybody. That's and way, way ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, our first plant was, um, it, it came in operation in the infamous 2008, 2009 period where the whole economic crisis hit us. So I think to your point, we came with um, a lot of ingenuity. We had developed the technology in-house, so really great R&D and so on. But yeah. we spend a lot of time on, on what we call change from within. So companies do not change, people do. And we spend a lot of time on explaining to our work, our employee, to our colleagues, to our environment, why do we see that renewables are really the future? And we had the resilience through the 2008 crisis and beyond without any mandates or any regulatory support to continue on that strategy. And of course, that now is paying off. It's a validation of that. You can see that afterwards, but it was a transformation that started very early on. So so how many leaders... um did you did you have to put through that? I guess so. It's a long it's a long transformation, right? It's ten to fifteen years. Yeah. So we're also looking at succession planning and keeping the right type of leadership in. So are we talking hundreds or and then yeah, how do you do that? We are uh, today. We are about four thousand four hundred employees, and uh, the top leadership. I think in two thousand and twelve, at the time we were doing these programs, were one hundred fifty people give or take. So the whole leadership and the next level. And one of the things that I find fascinating is that uh, at Neste, every employee, when you have uh, you know, a CEO that is visionary and the top management, it always gets a bit diluted when you go to middle management and so on. And what yeah. I find at Neste is just the opposite. We are all geared towards our, our future. Our vision is to create a healthier planet for our children. The emphasis on creating, not just living it. And everybody wakes up in the morning and works towards that purpose. And that's, uh, that's impressive. I think that whatever we did back uh, 15 years ago, it has continued and it has really secret to every corner of the organization. But I think exactly what you're saying, what impresses me is, again, Peter Vanneker, I think he only recently joined as well, 2019. Yeah, 18. 18, yeah. So they managed to to keep the succession as well and the leadership in tune. And again, that's not always easy to do for companies, you know, when they lose CEOs. And uh, Peter is also, well, uh, we didn't lose. It was, a, I think, a conscious change. And um, we um, is the first non-Finnish um, CEO of the company. Um, right. Together with my colleague, Torsten in Aviation, we are also the first two EXCO members that are not based out of Helsinki. So we are now moving, you know how they say, um, nothing is constant but change. So now we're moving to the next level where we're looking at optionality of different markets, that we're looking at aviation or chemicals, right. and um, also globalization. We have plans already in Rotterdam and in Singapore, but we are continuing to expand also our presence, not only with manufacturing sites. Yeah, that kind of rolls nicely into the question of values. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think values play a lot, don't they, in terms of being able to to drive a company like that with this yeah. you know, continued success, picking the right people and bringing them in yeah. and, and moving them up the company. 
Yes, exactly. We have, um, actually, after I joined, so I was part still of that change, the values is uh, we care, we collaborate, and we have courage. And um, the part of we care is really easy. We are all very engaged with uh, our employees and looking at work-life balance and topics of uh, quality and what have you, uh, really, again, from within. The we have courage is really important as we are looking at to you know that from marketing, the new, new is new products and new markets, actually a market that doesn't exist if you want yes. to. So the risk of taking um, some decisions of sticking to those and doing something that is really out of the box is something that we encourage where the industry tends to be very conservative. Right. And then the collaboration, we are breaking also the mold on the way that we are not just suppliers and then just put the material. We really work with all the value chain upstream, downstream, because only if we work together can we tackle things like climate change. That's that's a humongous problem that we cannot do tackle on our own. Yeah, like I said earlier, uh, uh, the, you, you've had an impressive career. So I want to just talk about women in leadership, and I know you're very passionate about that. <laughs> um, so, so I guess um, either from the STEM side or, or from just the women in leadership side, uh, I, I guess what advice do you have to people, and and do you feel as a responsibility to have role models in in these not um, well uh, uh, kind of heavier industrial areas, I guess, where women weren't there? I know when I did chemical engineering, we, we had like four women on the course, so it was you know but I'm yeah. very old, but... Uh, yeah. You don't know that at all. I think that is uh, some of the things that really have changed is that we see that the number of women and the natural sciences, whether it's chemistry, engineering, has increased to a point that is almost, if not 50-50, in some cases, even more than 50%, depending also, at least in Europe, but I see that also in other countries, in Asia and other places. So I think from the education and from the intellectual point of view, there is no excuse. We are working and, and having people in, in roles. Um, and I think that when you look at more junior roles, we still see uh, a much improvement from the times that you're talking about, about a number of women. What is still needs to be a bit uh, more work done is on management and in particularly management of businesses versus let's say management of functions you see traditionally you have a, a lot of women in in back office or in hr functions and that's great it's perfect but we would like to see also more women like in the role that i have and i think um Part of the change is also when you look at people like us, yeah, uh, from our friends or from our colleagues, we see many more uh, balanced uh, couples or people that are single but have kids or not having kids. We stop having that excuse of a different family model. Everybody pitches in and everybody can then work equally and advance in a career. You need to manage it. It does. Uh, it's much simpler when you have one person taking care of a household and you don't need to come home and I don't know, do your laundry or your taxes and somebody else has done it. And still, I see that it's um, a very common now among our employees and younger people in their 30s that it's a much more balanced. And yet, um, having role models in, in even like the role that I have, I didn't realize how inspiring it is for a lot of people to see, hey, yeah. you know, it, it's possible whether you have family or not, or you have this or that. It's, it's really down to you and what you want to do. And I always wanted to, to continue growing my career and to see uh, to the extent that I can do a job, then apply for it and, and get it done. Coming, you know, coming back to, to, to the pressures on women, do you think that the pandemic has made things worse or in, or in some ways has made things you know, you know, better as a lot more people are, are both at home now, right? So, Yeah, and I read that. 
lot about uh, different articles in the US is clearly saying that it's disadvantaging uh, women in terms of uh, people that are losing jobs, in terms about the workload that they're having at home that is right. disproportional when they are all at home and still is uh, a lot of the women that are working. Um, it's also a lot of uh, difficult situations when you have a smaller space and then whether it's, uh, it's violence against women or children, it's, it's very difficult so, to assess. Um, yeah, I think that um, hopefully it's going to be only a temporary setback. I really don't know. I guess, again, that um, in, in Europe or in some places, we are privileged to, to have a better standing. But uh, I think it's bringing back some of that inequality to, to light. And yet we are talking about it. We are able to express it, to address it, to, to not forget it. So I'm hopeful that things are still are, you know, a little by little, but progressing in the right direction. Do you, do you think women leaders uh, have particular skills uh, at making more effective leaders in innovation or, you know, in terms of listening? Because I've read that in some places, just interested to know what you think. Um, you know, I think there is a lot of cliches, but one answer is clear for me. Diversity in, in the workplace or everywhere is really the richness and diversity comes. Sure, it can be gender or it can be uh, um, minorities. I think it's the diversity of experiences of thinking that we bring. So whether it's a woman that is more collaborative than a man, I, I beg to defer. But the fact that you have different people in a room that will be able to feel that it's a right. safe place to express themselves, to, to bring the knowledge... I'm a Spanish person in Finland. My experience in the chemical industry where we've been working on oil, that kind of difference is what brings the advantage. Um, yes, I, I think that we have different leadership styles, maybe, uh, but whether it's because I'm a woman, because I'm Spanish, or because I, I work in a different company, I couldn't say. It's simply different. Yes. I, I want to just talk a little bit more about the of, about climate change and, yeah. and about the stand that you're personally making, your team is making. Um, I think you manage a, a, a large team of people working at that. And uh, you'd mentioned to me that it was like you were running a startup in a very large corporation. So just tell us a little about that. Yes. Um Neste has been traditionally a fuel company. So we've been managing renewable diesel. Also, we had the traditional and we still have traditional uh, diesel, gasoline and kerosene products. Um, looking into the chemical industries, when we started looking that at the end of the day, everywhere that you use fossil crude oil today, you can also replace it with renewables. So the materials that we have can replace also NAFTA at the very beginning of the production. And you are also a chemical engineer. So basically in a cracker, instead of feeding it with NAFTA, you can feed it with a renewable NAFTA. Right. That um, is, is uh, very, very new. There's very few companies working on that. Actually, there is only one that has the same kind of product as we do. The biodiesel has a different chemical composition that could have not worked. So it's pioneering in that sense. And um, you, you have heard, there has been probably two decades of bio-based materials that have been moving in the market, but they remained as a relative niche in the big scheme of things because they have different properties, they have different processes and so on. When we're replacing the NAFTA, where we are being uh, able to do is a clear drop-in. So once that you have processed it, the materials are identically physically or chemically to any other plastic, to any other chemical. So that's really opportunity to revolutionize the industry as we know it without changing anything downstream in the value chain, but being able to convert it to something that demonstrates it depends on which processes, but in our renewable uh, diesel, we can guarantee more than 90% uh, reduction in greenhouse gases versus traditional fuel. So 
yes, a startup because it's a new industry for us, because the industry is also new to these kind of products, but also within a company that, as you say, has been um, 15 years already recognized as sustainable. We have a credibility of what we are doing. And also in my business, we are looking at uh, plastic waste and plastic waste uh, chemical recycling, which is, again, another yeah. very new technology, very much on the startup, but with yeah. the wealth of um, sustainability teams and uh, understanding of a company that has been doing this for a long time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Neste is the second largest company in Finland, I think. 2019, they were just shy of 16 billion. Is that right? Yeah, we have also a very large market capitalization that has been, uh, you know, changing obviously with the shares, but definitely one of the largest, Yeah, I guess, Nokia. Yeah, uh, my question was was really going to be when, I mean, you, you can't really have a circular economy, can you, without everybody being involved in terms of the whole ecosystem and and everything working out. So I was interested just to ask you, in terms of, say, a BP, Shell, and Exxon, does Neste see them as competitors or are they partners in this kind of new world of moving things to renewables? Um, Because they're a lot larger than... Than Neste, so is they that are much larger? Absolutely. That an advantage for you because you're more more agile, or is it again a bit more difficult to uh, to move forward if the others don't? Look, in the traditional oil business, I don't think we will compete. Nest has been very focused on um, Finland and the local markets and uh, Shell, Exxon, global multinationals, very diverse also into different businesses. We have been very focused. Um, in the comparison with renewables, there is no com- there's no comparison. There's basically what Nest has done on transforming themselves from an oil company to renewables. There is no second to, to that. It's, it's clearly that. I see with, uh, with a lot of uh, interest and pleasure companies like you say Shell or Exxon even moving a little bit Shell much more or Total into renewable energy and changing the shape of what they're doing uh, the proof is in the pudding they are just at the beginning and I hope that they will also accelerate to to cover the years that they have missed um, for me one of the differences as well is that when they are back integrated into extraction of fossil fuels it's um, it's a question of how committed will they be really to to tackle climate change. Um, mm. There is a lot of, uh, of issues with the extraction of oil and the gases that get lost because they couldn't be bothered to recover them. That is where I really hope that they step up to the challenge and look into that seriously. And then on the chemical side, they could be, and they are probably also in a way or another, uh, potential customers and partners. And I will say more partners than customers because they will be taking renewable naphtha and polymerize it and bring their plastics and chemicals to the market based on material from Neste. So collaboration, definitely important. And whether it's that they are developing their own technologies to make materials themselves and move into that space. Um, yeah, I think we, our focus is in continuing to be ahead of that game. As a smaller company, as you say, is our ingenuity, as they call it, and the innovation drive. Um, the majority of the budget that we have in R&D is really going to our new platforms and where we are working on lignocellulosics in algae and PTX uh, or waste plastics, which is the most um, closer one in terms of timeline. Right. That's what we continue doing. We, we are not done yet. We continue and we will not stop. No, there's a lot of work to, to do, but I think what you've done since, what it was 2005, your first plant, is, yeah. it's, it's absolutely great. Uh, just coming back to, again, women in leadership and, and the path you've been on, uh, do, you, do you have any role models that you've, you've looked back on and, and have they been business or non-business? 
It's, it's interesting because role models as having, say, women, uh, there were almost none or very few. I remember a few in the customer base or some of those uh, in my jobs in some companies. What I have had is a, um, a nice handful of excellent, amazing uh, leaders, men that saw no difference, men that will be uh, helping us to continue to promote Brilliant. that really even went past the not quotas, but saying, you know, we, we have an issue not having enough women, we are going to be advancing those. Uh, people that gave us tips about how to deal with the world full of, of, of male, uh, with uh, the boys club, and, and people that really realize that it's not easy to just make your way when you are maybe only the only one in a room. So that I have had the pleasure of having excellent mentors and, and some bosses that really helped me in the, in the career path, that's for sure. And that makes all the difference. Right. And in terms of, I guess, when you're not at work, um, I know when we spoke before, just before this, we were, you were talking about trying to keep the balance of things. So, yeah. so, 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 how do you get your mind off work? I guess enough to relax or do other things. So. It's uh, it's funny, but I really love cooking. And my mom always say that is because I like uh, chemistry, that I like cooking or vice versa. And um, where I am in my apartment in Dusseldorf, where I'm on my own during the week without the family, I cook almost every evening. And uh, I try to cook always something different, so from different countries, or I get mm -hmm. one of those boxes with new recipes to try. And it's almost uh, exactly as you say, is I finish work, I, I take a look, whether it's something in TV tonight or not, but then I, I yeah. cook. And that kind of half an hour of ritual and then eating something and uh, checking with the family, look what I cooked today, that's uh, my take time out. I like walking sometimes, but I'm very lazy, so that doesn't, it's not so regular as cooking and something. But uh, also on the weekends, it's uh, very much around family, dog, cat, and, and just uh, talking, playing games, uh, even watching TV together. But that's this uh, venting. And and you go skiing too, right? Snowboarding, yeah. Uh, just uh, working on it. It's been a lot of people in the slopes because, as you know, not every place is open and I'm trying to avoid the crowds. It's, uh, I think with uh, COVID, I'm trying to just simply stay away of crowds. And that's uh, this year I haven't done much. But today I regret it because uh, Farouk went out with our son and they sent a picture of the most gorgeous, beautiful, sunny day, blue skies. And I thought, eh, yeah, I wish I had been there. Well, one thing we don't want to talk about is my skiing because you've seen it <laughs> and it's pretty awful. So we won't I talk remember about the story of the two left legs and the two left boots and all that. Yeah, between the boots. That that's gonna be the, the comedy show that goes between the boots. with me skiing. <laughs> Not the boots um, the lines. Yep. No, absolutely. Well what well, Mercedes, I want to acknowledge you for coming uh for coming on between the lines and taking the time and sharing so much passion and vision. Um, just before you go, let me just ask you one last question. Five years from now, you come back on the show, hopefully before that. Um, how does the world look in, in terms of what we've been able to achieve in climate change and things? What's Because you're kind of there, you're in the Nordic countries, you're really pushing, you know, pushing the needle, as they say. So, 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 so what's a really kind of glowing picture you can leave us with Um I see. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, with uh, with the pandemic, everybody thought, ah, oh, next economic crisis, everybody's going to slow down with the pledges. That's what we have seen happening in the last few years. And right. this time is so different. You see the Green Deal, you see the Green Recovery, we see the legislation moving at a speed and that has never been before. But what I do see as well is the uh, consumers and people holding the, the companies accountable for doing something. So, um, 
I think that this is really a tipping point where we are going to start looking into the one and a half or two degrees lower temperature where companies, transportation, uh, everywhere in every corner, we are looking more at our planet and we're more conscious that we all have to work together into that. And to your point, if we are having great numbers in the Nordics, but not in Germany, <laughs> that's the environment, is the planet. You cannot do it well in one place or another. So this yeah. global collaboration, very glad to see with the new presidential drive in US that we also have now the U.S. back into the discussion. I do think that if we all pull together in five years, we will start see very slowly moving the needle. It's a lot of work to get there. But if we now really start pushing all in the one direction, I think in five years, we will start seeing that the trend is not yet reverse. Unfortunately, I think that we have a lot of work, but definitely a clear trend to work seriously together towards that. Once again, yeah, thank you for an inspiring conversation. I want to also acknowledge Neste, the company you work for, for also uh, uh, going out there to, to move the needle and transitioning um, their energy into renewable sources. So that's, that's really good. Um, and hopefully I will see you again very soon. So thank you I'm for coming. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Wow, what a great interview. Thank you, Mercedes, for that. She really is an extraordinary leader in energy and uh, so happy to have her here. I hope you all enjoyed it. Remember to share and subscribe to Between the Lines and don't miss out on future episodes. Thank you and see you next time. Once again, a huge thank you to our sponsors, JMW, for this episode. There will be more in the Spotlight on Leadership series coming up, so do not miss out and subscribe. To find out more about their expertise on transformational leadership, visit jmw.com.